Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel according to Luke chapter 18. And I want to welcome everyone here in our celebration service, uh, those in our summit service, and also all of those watching at home. Before we jump into our scripture time this morning, I want you to know that Charlotte Wooten, uh, one of our dear members who is probably in the choir behind me, uh, is leaving on Thursday to go to the Galapagos Islands uh, for missions, and I want us as a church to be in prayer for her as uh, she goes. We'll pray uh, at the conclusion of our services today, uh, but since uh, I'm not in the conclusion of both of our services, I wanted to take a moment and mention that to you. It was a wise old pastor uh, who, after decades of observing people deal with the highs and the lows of life, holding hands with scores of people who are in the last minutes of life and listening to them reflect upon their greatest wins and their biggest regrets, uh, learning firsthand how scripture intersects with real life. It was the wise old pastor who said, if you're going to be good at anything, be good at prayer. And we see this in the pages of scripture uh, throughout the Bible. It was the wise old prophet Samuel who said in 1 Samuel 12, 23, I vow that I will not sin against God by ceasing to pray. And it was the prophet Isaiah who said in Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call to him while he is near. And it was Jesus himself who said, you should pray, Matthew 6, 9. And so we've taken some weeks, if the Lord allows, to really enroll ourselves in Christ's school of prayer. And our hope is that over these several weeks, we can learn from the words of Christ, that's where our focus will be, from the words of Christ exactly how it is that we can become men and women of prayer. We have promised to pray. We have committed ourselves to pray. We have had every good intention to be people of prayer, but in so many ways we have fallen short. But I want us in this time, in these weeks, to gain the tools and the motivation and make the connection that every one of us can be a man or woman of prayer. And so last week we began this journey, and the main point last week, if you were here, you'll know, hopefully, uh, is this, you can pray well. Uh, so many times we just get to the point, I think in our spiritual lives where we're frustrated because we have tried to pray well and we just have failed to be great prayers. But the Bible says you can pray well. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus didn't say, well, this is too hard and I can't believe you had asked that. And if you just loved me enough and had enough self-discipline, you would just pray. No, Jesus said, okay, that's something you can learn and I'll teach you to pray. Everybody can pray. And then we turned over and looked at some of the foundational principles that we build a good prayer life upon. What are those absolute essential things that we should know in order to learn how to pray? And I'll share those with you very quickly. We learned that prayer is a critical skill of the highest value. As I said, if you're going to be good at anything, be good at prayer. We also learned that prayer is a craft that you learn, not a truth that you discover. 
And we got a lot of feedback about this this last week, and I think it dawned on a lot of people, or redawned uh, on a lot of people, that, that we don't just make a decision to pray, we don't just try really hard to pray, we have to learn it, like we learn a thousand other things in life, and we can learn the craft of prayer. Then we learn that prayer is a function of your humility. If you really understand that we are powerless without the Lord, you will pray. It's a function of how humble you are. And then we said it is an expression of your faith. If you really believe that Jesus is the one who takes your prayer to God and prayer changes things because God changes things, then you will express your prayer, you will express rather your faith through prayer. So today, with that foundation laid, I want I want to begin to build on that, and I want to show you the very first step in how to pray. We understand its importance. We understand how strategic it is. We understand that we can do it. So what is the first step? These are going to be simple messages. We're going to work through this as slowly as we need to, one step at a time. What is the first step in how to pray? Now, I'll give you a little pro tip here before I give you the step. It is important that we understand that there are steps to be learned. So so often we think that if you want to pray, you just jump into it with both feet. And certainly every person can pray and God honors every prayer. But if you want to be a consistent prayer, if you want to have a deepened prayer life, then there are some instructions. There are some steps. That's why we're going through these things. That's why Jesus said, pray this way, because there is a way to prayer. I'll give you an example of how we often mess this up. Oftentimes when people want to be a man or woman of prayer, the place they start, the wrong place to start, but the place they start is with a prayer list. Now I'm all for prayer list and I use a prayer list often when I pray, but, but listen church, praying with a prayer list is not the first thing you need to learn about prayer. That is graduate level praying. And there's a reason why people start with a prayer list and they get frustrated and quit on about day four. To pray with a prayer list is a very difficult thing. And you need to be an excellent prayer to be able to pray consistently with a prayer list. Praying first with a prayer list is like getting your learner's permit and then learning to drive in a Formula One race car. It would be like learning to play basketball by challenging LeBron James to a high stakes game of one-on-one. You're going to fail. Now, we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come, but here's what I want you to hear from that. There are steps to take. There There are steps to learn, instructions to follow in order to be a great man or woman of prayer. And we're going to look at the first of those today. So what is the first lesson? What is the most important thing? The absolutely no close second. What is the most important first step in being a great man or woman of prayer? It's this. Don't give up. All right? We could go home, really, after that. If we really understood it, uh, we could uh, just do away with the rest of this whole series of messages because the, 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 the key piece that's gonna lead to all the other pieces is this instruction, this simple instruction, we'll read it here in Luke chapter 18 in a moment, don't give up, keep praying. What do they say about real estate that the most important thing, and I don't know much about real estate, but in the movies, 
Uh, when they talk about real estate, they say the most important thing is location, 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 right? What is the most important thing about prayer? Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. It's just that simple, but it's just that important. So look with me, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. We're going to see the heart and the instruction of Christ, and then he's going to tell just a brief story, just a few verses long, simple story that uh, illustrates his, uh, his command. So verse 1 says, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. If you underline things in your Bible, that's where you should underline Pray always and not give up. Then look at this story, this parable to illustrate the truth. Verse two, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. So a widow and she's suffering some injustice. She has some enemy. She has an adversary. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't have family support, apparently. She's a widow in that culture. They were the weakest of people. And so she goes to the judge and she says, give me justice. Look at verse four. For a while, he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Now, isn't that an interesting parable? Ordinarily, when we read a parable, one of Christ's parables, it teaches us something by comparison. For instance, when Jesus said, a wise man built his house upon the rock and a foolish man built his house upon the sand. The storm comes, the wise man, his house survives. The foolish man, his house falls. So build your house upon the rock. Now that's a parable by comparison. We can compare ourselves to the wise man. We can build our house, our lives upon the rock of God's word. Or we can be like the foolish man and build our lives upon the principles, the values of the world. And when the storm comes, our house will fall. That's, that's typically how parables work. They're by comparison. But there are three parables that Jesus gives that are by both comparison and contrast. And this is one of those. And, and so you have to look at it a little differently. Let's, let's walk through it. The comparison here is that we are like the widow woman. Now, as I said before, the widow in their culture was, a, was the most vulnerable person. There wasn't a safety net. Uh, she didn't really have any legal standing. She could go before the courts, but they could deny her justice. Uh, this woman likely didn't have any family support, which was common uh, when a woman was a widow. Uh, there, was, there was no medical care. There were no nursing facilities. Oftentimes, widow women would just literally wither and die alone. And so this is a woman who is weak. Now, we are the widow woman, right? Because we're weak. We don't always want to admit it, but we are. The most important things in life, we don't have any control over. I don't have any control over what's going to happen tomorrow. Not any real control. I don't have any control on what other people will do. I don't have control oftentimes on what I'm going to do. At least not the kind of control that, that I pretend to have. The, the, this 
pandemic, if it's taught us anything, it has taught us that we just don't have control of things. We are like this widow woman. We are weak and we are dependent upon the judge. Now, let's look at the judge because here we have not a comparison but a contrast. We are like the widow woman, but God is the opposite of the judge. So let's look at that. If this ungodly, uncaring judge that had no interest in justice and sees no value in other people, if he will ultimately respond to the persistent pleas of a helpless widow woman, how much more will our God who loves us dearly, who values us, created in the image of God, who, who, has, who has given his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that we can be children of God, a God who loves us that much, how much more will that God respond to the persistent, continual pleas of his children? That's Jesus' point. If, if an unjust judge will respond to the continued pleas, how much more will our God who delights to give us uh, the things we ask for, how much more will he, uh, will he respond? And so Jesus gives this instruction, an instruction and an explanation, pray always and don't give up. How can you become a great person of prayer? Pray always and don't give up. How can you actually do this and it not just be a promise? You have to pray always and not give up. How can you figure out some of the mysteries of prayer that have confused you through the years? Pray always and don't give up. That's Jesus' instruction. Now, I think to fully understand this, I want you to fully understand this. I want to ask some questions of it. Uh, just three simple questions of, of that command, pray always and don't give up. And out of, these, out of, these, um, out of this simple command, I, I want to answer three important questions. The first one is this. Why does God want us to persevere in prayer? Just think about that. Why does God even want us to do this? Why is this a command? God didn't have to create uh, our spirituality, our relationship with him. He didn't have to create it in such a way that prayer was so important. So why did he do it this way? Why must we pray and persevere in prayer? Well, that's a good question. And, and I think to fully understand that, we have to look at it from some different angles. First of all, why do we even need to pray at all? Why do we need to pray? Why can't we just not pray? God just takes care of things. Well, we need to pray because we, like the widow woman, we're weak. The only lever she had to pull was going before the judge. And the only hope we really have is going before the judge, going before the father. We need to pray because we, like the widow woman, we are weak. Now, the other way to look at this question, why does God want us to persevere in prayer, is to ask, why does God want us to tell him something that he already knows? Think about that. God, God tells us here, Christ tells us here, I need to pray and I need to continue to pray. But if God knows everything and God loves me, why do I have to keep praying for something? Why do I have to bring something up to him that he already knows about? Well, good question, but there's an easy answer. God wants us to learn that he is the source of all blessings. The Bible says in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift is from above. 
Everything that's good in your life comes from the Lord. And so God instructs us to pray. And so in response to those prayers, God blesses us. And we recognize that we have the blessings in our lives because of the prayers that we prayed to the God who cares. If we were blessed apart from our prayers, then God would never be honored. God would never be recognized for his faithfulness and his kindness. Some Christians wonder, why does God not move in my life in some way? Why, why, do I, why don't I see God do something in my life? Well, it may very well be because God wants to do something in your life, but because you have not prayed for it, if God were to do something, it wouldn't seem as if it came from the Lord and God wouldn't be honored in that. And so God doesn't do it. Why does God want us to tell him something that he already knows so that he can respond to the prayers of his people for his own honor and glory? And then another way, a third way to look at this first question, why does God want us to persevere in prayer? We could ask, why does God want us to continue to pray the same thing over and over and over. Why isn't this a one and done kind of arrangement? Why can't I just mention it to God and so he records it somewhere and it's done and I don't have to repeat it. God doesn't forget my prayers. So why is it that I have to pray something over and over and over? Well, two, two things to know. First, this is just how God has chosen to work. And it, we don't always have to understand why in order for something to be true, right? And, and I just think that's a basic uh, principle for reading and interpreting the Bible. It is good to understand, it's good to look for the reason why God says certain things, but at the end of the day, if God says it, that settles it, right? And so God has chosen to work with his people uh, by commanding us to pray for things continually. Now, there is though another reason. The Bible says that we are to respond to the Lord by faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says it's without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The Bible says that the only way you can relate to God is by faith. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Faith that, that Jesus lived a sinless life and he died to pay the penalty for our sins. But we, we relate to the Lord by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So what is faith? What is faith? Now, preachers like me, and I've done this a bunch of times, we use an illustration often uh, to communicate faith that is exactly right but it, uh, it doesn't paint the whole picture, and I'm afraid that at times I've confused people. Uh, we, we talk about a father in a swimming pool. Have you heard me say this? Uh, a father in a swimming pool, and his young son is standing on the side. His young son doesn't know how to swim. He is, uh, he is fearful of the water. He's fearful of what will happen if he jumps in. But the father opens his arms and said, you can trust me, son. Jump. And so the son, finally, at least in the story, uh, he decides that his father is trustworthy and he puts away his fear and he leaps to the arms of his father. His father catches him and everything's fine. And so that's a picture of faith. The son, though he was fearful, he put aside his fear and he trusted his father. That's faith. Now, is that a good illustration? It absolutely, it's a good illustration. Is that faith? It is faith. But, but here's the problem with it. 
Faith is not just something we do one time. And, and, and I'm afraid when I've told that story before, people have gotten in their mind this picture of faith as something that just happens one time. One time, a long time ago, I trusted God. Or, or, or maybe even once a year, I trust God when there's a hard thing in life. But no, the Bible teaches that faith is a continuing to trust in God, a continual trust in God. And so we're to be jumping into the arms of God every single day. We're to be jumping into the arms of God every single moment of every single day. We ought to get up in the morning and we ought to say, Lord, without you, I'm hopeless. Without your forgiveness, I'm condemned. Without your wisdom, I won't know what to do. Without your power, today will be a failure. Every day, we put aside our fear and we jump into the arms of God and we have faith. That's faith in, in him. Now, how do we express that kind of ongoing faith? Well, we express it, listen church, by praying continually, by persevering in prayer, by praying not just one time and having faith in God, but praying the same thing every day, maybe multiple times a day, on and on and on, we're expressing that we have not a one-time faith, which is not a biblical faith, but we have a continual faith in God. Let me give you some examples. So I should not just pray once that God would give me wisdom. How often do I pray that God will give me wisdom? I pray it every single morning, and I pray it most of the time, a bunch of times all through the day. Lord, give me wisdom, give me wisdom, give me direction. Help me to uh, be able to tell the difference between just you know, what's in my heart or what's in my flesh and what it is that your spirit would, would have me to do. Give me wisdom, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. Now, why do I continue to pray something that God hasn't forgotten that I prayed a long time ago? Well, because I, I, it's not a one-time faith. I'm trusting God every day, every moment of every day, give me wisdom. It's not just that I needed wisdom when I prayed to receive Christ a bunch of years ago. No, I need wisdom today. I need wisdom right now. I need wisdom in this conversation. I am desperate, Lord, for your wisdom. I continue to have faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And I express that by my continued prayer. I'll give you another example. What about praying for the protection of our kids. So I have three daughters sort of spread out, one here, two in you know, different cities, different places in the country. And, and so I'm a parent and I worry about their safety often. And so I pray, not every morning, but most mornings, I pray for their safety. Now why do I continue to pray for their safety? Why was it just a one and done kind of thing? Because I, I didn't just have a one-time faith in the Lord to trust that, Lord, you're the only way that their safety can be safeguarded. No, I'm trusting God every single day for that. Sometimes, multiple times a day. When I, when I hear a siren, I hear something, you know, a rescue squad or something go down the road, uh, I pray for my girls. I mean, I know it's not for them and they're not, my oldest girls aren't in this city, but I still, it's a reminder. And so why do I continue to pray that because I recognize every day and every moment of every day, my only lever to pull, the only place I can put my trust for the safety of my girls is, is in the Lord. It's in the Lord. I'll give you one more example. We pray for the salvation 
of people in our neighborhood, or our workplace. Uh, maybe we're praying for the salvation of uh, someone in our family. How often should we pray? Well, listen, pray every day if the Lord's put it on your heart. Pray every day. It's not a one-time thing, but we are continually trusting. We are continually having faith in God because we know it's God's Holy Spirit that has to work in their lives. And I'm continuing to trust, so I should continue to pray. When I pray continually, like this widow woman, when I pray continually, I express that I continue to believe that God is my only hope. And the hand of God is what I need. And so he tells us, pray continually. Pray and don't give up. Now, the second question, and I'll go a little faster on this, but the second question is why then do people stop praying? If the Bible says it so clearly, and I could give you a dozen verses, we're focused on Luke 18, 1, but I had my pick of, of verses uh, that tell us, that remind us, that command us that we should continue to pray. So why then do people, Christians, stop praying? praying. Well, I think we stop praying because we misunderstand God's timeline and God's purpose. We think when we pray that the only good time for God to respond to our prayers is when? Right now. God, I want it and I want it now. And we think that God's purpose should only be what I've prayed for. God, I don't want to talk about anything else. This is what I want you to do. Now, that's, that's our understanding, that the time frame is now and that the purpose is what it is that I have brought before the Lord, but God works with a different time frame and a different purpose. So let me give you an example. Maybe you're praying that God will give you a better job. So you're praying, God will give me a better job. God will give me a better job. And so you're praying that and your time frame is what? Right now. God give me a better job right now. And the purpose, as you're thinking about it, is I want a better job because I don't want to have to drive so far to work, or I need different financial situation, or I need this, or I need that. There's this purpose that you have. And so you pray that on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, and Thursday, and then for two more weeks, and nothing happens. And you stop praying because you think, I've prayed this now for weeks, and nothing has happened. Well, Nothing has happened if you measure it by your time frame and by your purpose. You're saying nothing has happened because you wanted God to give you another job now. But maybe God's time frame is two years or three years or five years. Maybe there's a reason why you don't need a better job right now because there's something you need to learn in the job that you're in. Maybe there's somebody you need to influence in the job that you're in. Maybe somebody needs to influence you in the job that you're in. And so God has a different timetable perhaps and maybe God has a different purpose. God's purpose is not just that you'll have a better job that you know, pays more money or has a shorter commute. Maybe God's purpose is that you learn to trust in him even when you don't think your needs are being met. Maybe that's, maybe that's the most important thing that's happening here. So you quit praying in two weeks, in three weeks, because from your perspective, it doesn't do any good. God is not responding when the truth may be that God is responding, just not on your timetable and not for your specific purposes, but God may be doing great things in his timetable according to his purpose. Maybe you are praying that God will give you a spouse. I've talked to a couple of people here about this uh, even in the, last, uh, in the last month or so. Lord, give me a spouse, give me a spouse. I wanna get married, I wanna get married. Well. 
Uh, if you're not married, want to get married, I guess that's a good prayer to pray. But understand that while you pray it and have a timetable of now, and you have a purpose of, I want there to be a wedding and a husband or a wife, God may have a different timetable. And God may have a different purpose. Maybe, maybe there's a reason why it needs to take another year or three years or five years. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe the other person's not ready. Maybe some things need to happen. So maybe there's a different timetable. and Maybe there's a different purpose. Maybe God wants you to go through a time when you desperately want something, but you don't have it. And you have to learn to get your joy from the Lord instead of getting your joy from your spouse. And so God's doing something Maybe way bigger than giving you a spouse. And so you quit praying for the spouse after you know, a few weeks or a few months and say, God's not doing anything. Well, no, God is doing something. Just maybe not according to your timetable or according to your, to your purpose. Praying for a wayward child. Uh, how many people in our church are going through this right now? And you're praying, you're praying that your child who's turned away from the Lord will turn back to the Lord. But you've quit praying because you prayed for six months last year and nothing happened. Well, not according to your timetable and your specific narrow purpose, but who knows what God may have been doing. I'm reading a couple of books right now on, on George Mueller. Do you know that name? I'm actually reading one by him and one about him. And George Mueller in the 1800s, he had an orphanage, ended up taking care of over 10,000 orphans. He started 117 schools to educate children who lived in the streets. 120,000 students received a Christian education because of his efforts. But he decided early in his life that he would live his whole life trusting the Lord, faith in God through prayer. And his life is just, the whole life has become an illustration of what it would look like if we really depended on God in prayer like he tells us to. And so you'll probably hear much about Mueller in the next few weeks, but let me read to you a diary entry, 1950, I'm sorry, 1850. Uh, here's what he wrote in his diary. In November of 1844, so six years earlier, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and I prayed on for the others. Five years later, the second one was converted. I thanked God and I prayed for the other three day by day. I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. And I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two because these two remained unconverted. So now, this started in 1844. Every day, uh, six years, it's now 1850, three of the five. He prayed every day, three of the five come to know Christ. And then you fast forward to 1880, so 30 years later. 36 years later, he wrote that the other two sons, or it has been written that the other two sons uh, of uh, the other two sons of Mueller's friends were still unconverted. Uh, Mueller wrote, "But I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be." He had confidence in that. And then in 1897. 
52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted, but Mueller was dead. Now, what's the lesson in that? God put something on your heart. Don't have faith in God once. Express your continued faith in God and you pray until God moves, God changes your prayer, or God takes you home. What an incredible story by Mueller. Now, the third, the third question uh, is this. Uh, what should be your persistent prayers? And my, my plan was, here in the message, I was just going to give you a whole list of things that you ought to consider praying for every single day. To pray and don't give up. Uh, but I thought, you know, that list doesn't need to come from me. It needs to come from the, from the Holy Spirit of God. And so I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to let the Spirit give it to you. Uh, but, but let me tell you this. Praying is like farming. Like farming. So if someone's a farmer, what does he do? He plants, he tills, and then he plants. He waters, he works, he waits, he works. And then finally, there's a harvest, right? If a farmer plants one week, gets frustrated at the end of the second week because there's no harvest, and he just quits, there will never be a harvest. I mean, a good farmer knows that you've got to invest a lot of time and a lot of energy, and then finally there's a bountiful harvest. Praying, often, not every time, but often praying is like farming. So here's the question I want you to think about. What are the, what are the seeds God wants you to begin to plant today? What, what is the harvest that God wants you to begin to prepare for today? The harvest in your family, the harvest in your church, the harvest in your, in all the remaining years of your life. And how can you begin to plant the seed today and to water it tomorrow and the next day and to pray and not give up? I, I, I want to close by just interviewing myself. And I know this will sound uh, funny, but, um, but I don't mean it to. I, I, I hope this will leave a lasting impression. So I want to ask myself a few questions, and I'll give a brief answer. Uh, so question number one, Pastor, what is the number one key to developing a strong and healthy prayer life? Answer, as Jesus said, pray always and not give up. Luke 18, 1. Pastor, what is the biggest obstacle that keeps people from becoming prayer warriors? Answer, not doing what Jesus said. Pray always and not give up. Luke 18, 1. Pastor, I don't really know how to pray. How can I learn the techniques of prayer? Answer, as Jesus said, pray always and don't give up. Luke 18, 1. Pastor, I don't feel like God answers my prayer. What should I do? Just as Jesus said, pray always, don't give up. Luke 18, 1. Pastor, I don't really feel close to God in my prayer times. What should I do? Just as Jesus said, pray always, don't give up. Luke 18, 1. Pastor, I've read a bunch of books on prayer, and I've heard a bunch of sermons about prayer, and I'm confused about some things that, that seem to be different from one teacher to the other. Where do I begin? How do I sort this out? Well, just as Jesus said, pray always and not give up. Luke 18, 1. Pastor, how can I have a better prayer life? Pray always and don't give up. Just with your head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, what a privilege prayer is. 
We know that the only reason we can, prayers, we can pray is because of what Christ has done for us. We come boldly before the throne of faith, before the throne of grace, because Jesus has paid the way. And so, first, we put our trust in you. And those here today who may never have put their trust in you, I pray that you'll lead them to do that right now. Father, I trust what Jesus has done for the forgiveness of my sins, and I surrender my life to him. Father, so many of us, we, we have put our trust in you. We have put our trust in you. But day by day, we're not. We're not expressing our trust in prayer. We're going it alone. Father, I pray that you'll make me and everyone who hears my voice, a great man or woman, a great mom or dad, a great college student or student of prayer. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond to the Lord.